So as David said, we're looking at this series all about the church, looking at what it is. What is the church? Why is it important? What does God think about the church? We're going to consider some of the New Testament images, looking at the role of the Holy Spirit in, his, in, in the church, looking at the fact it's called to be international and it's God's plan. And it will lead us through into September when we look specifically at KCC and what God's calling us to be as a local church. So let's get excited about what God's doing worldwide and also with us. Coming up during this series, we're going to be looking at, as I said, those images that we get in the New Testament uh, and, and pictures of what the church is about. We're going to be looking at the church being the people of God and the Father's family, the temple built of living stones, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, and the new Jerusalem. But today we're going to start with looking at the church being the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Weddings are wonderful events, aren't they? Weddings are beautiful celebrations of love of two people. Last Saturday, I had the joy of joining in Nick and Claire's part three of their wedding trilogy. It was great to see it through to completion. What started June last year would have been May, then June, then again in July, and then finishing last Saturday. It was a real celebration, and it was great to do it on a beautiful day outside. First wedding ceremony I've done outside, and it was great to be part of it. Yesterday, Liz and I celebrated our wedding anniversary. 22 years ago, we had our wedding day. There's something special about coming together. But actually, it points to something even bigger, even greater, even more wonderful. It's not simply about the coming together of two people. It's an image of Jesus and the church. He is the groom, we are the bride. Our key passage for today is just three verses from Ephesians 5. Many of you will have heard it. We often hear them around marriage ceremonies. And when we think about weddings and marriages, it says this, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Those words, I can tell you, are daunting words for any groom or husband. But they are amazing words for us, the church. So we're going to consider today three parts of this idea of the bride of Christ. We're going to think about the wedding, we're going to think about the groom, and we're going to think about the bride. And we're going to do it fairly quickly because we're going to whistle through some amazing stuff here. You know, there's so much involved in planning a wedding. If you've ever done it, you will know there's a lot involved. And often it's the bride does a lot of the planning. To my shame, that was certainly the case with our wedding day. I sort of sat back and let Liz plan it all. My involvement in the wedding actually really wasn't very much apart from choosing what food we were going to have to eat because food's always very important to me. And then my other part was planning a holiday afterwards. I booked a honeymoon. But essentially, the wedding often falls on the bride. 
But when we think about us and the church, it's very much the other way around. God takes the lion's share of organising the wedding. And he is preparing the most incredible wedding feast for all of us. Yes, we can still play our part in preparing. We're called to live a life worthy of what we have been called to. This identity that Rose was referring to earlier. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We are called to prepare, yes, but it's God himself who takes the, the, the lion's share, the majority of the planning. And sure enough, there is incredible plans in place for the wedding that we will get to attend and be part of. Matthew 22, 2 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. There will come a day when he will present her, the church, you and me, to himself. That's what it says in that passage that I read. He will do it. There will be a day when we are presented before him as his bride. The lead up to a wedding can certainly take a long time. Ask Nick and Claire about that one. It can take a long time to actually get to the wedding day. But the build up and the waiting and the excitement is amazing. And sometimes it can feel almost too much to bear. The wedding of the Lamb has been planned for eternity. Imagine the anticipation, the excitement as Jesus is waiting for his bride to walk down the aisle. Imagine he can barely hold it in as he contemplates you and me appearing before him as his bride. We look at ourselves and think, really? He looks at us and says, yes, I can't wait to welcome you down the aisle. This is the wedding that has been planned for all eternity. And every other wedding that has taken place, human wedding that's taken place, is only a tiny, tiny reflection of what it's going to be like on that glorious day that we are all called to be part of. There is none of us that are left out. If we call on the name of Jesus, we are caught up in being the bride of Christ. That is our eternal destiny. We will be welcomed into a wedding feast. And what a feast. We get glimpses of it. Listen to this in Revelation 19, verses 6 to 9. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to him, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Blessed are all of us because we are invited to that wedding supper. And he added, these are the true words of God. So first and foremost, when we consider the bride of Christ, we consider the wedding feast that has been planned and is being planned for all eternity, that we are called to be part of, you and I. Secondly, let's take a moment to think about the groom, Jesus. 
his passion and devotion and joy when he thinks about his bride, us. He wants to woo us, captivate us. His love is so much bigger than we can possibly imagine. You know, often when we think of, of love, love things, you think of people with little hearts above them. Maybe those love is dot, dot, dot. You know those love is cartoons? You see the, those little people and there's always just a little heart there. But when we think of God's love towards us, it's not just a little heart in the sky. When I was thinking about it, it was like this, zoom, this heart getting bigger and bigger to the point it was bigger than the people. It was, in fact, God's love surrounds us and envelops us. Earlier in the same letter of Ephesians, Paul wrote this, Ephesians 3, verse 17 to 19. He said, praying to the church in Ephesus, and we can have this prayer over us too, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and so deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Clearly, the love that Paul is trying to communicate to the church in Ephesus, to communicate to us and for us to grasp, and he's praying that we'd be able to grasp, is a, is a love that is vast, it's huge. Grasp how high and wide, how long and deep. There is no measure. We're not talking about a little tiny heart. God's love is enormous. This is the passion that Jesus, our groom, feels for you and me. This wedding that is planned, this marriage is no forced marriage. It's not an arranged marriage. It's not sealing an alliance. You know, you often hear that in history of kind of particularly royal families of different nations marrying to bring the countries together and bring an alliance. But it's very much out of a duty and, well, we've just got to do this to bring unity. But no, there's not a duty involved in this. Jesus has sought us out with passion, deep desire. In fact, if it's almost embarrassing, the passion that Jesus feels for us. It's enough to make us blush if we really grasp it and, and, and comprehend it to any level. It should make us blush how much God dotes on us. You know, you can read Song of Solomon to discover how God feels about you and me. If you read that, every time you see the word he, think of Jesus. Every time the word you see she, think of us. I'm not going to look at that right now because this is a family event. <laughs> but this is the sort of deep passion that Jesus feels for us as his bride. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. The lengths Jesus has gone to to demonstrate his love to you and me, to win us for him as his bride. He has paid the ultimate price of his blood to remove every barrier between us so that we can be united together with him 
forever. You know, often at wedding ceremonies, you hear the phrase in the vows, till death do us part. Or rather with Jesus, not till death do us part, but till death joined us, his death. One of the songs we're going to listen to in a little bit is another old classic about the church. I'm just going to read the lyrics because I think they so capture this heart of what our groom feels about you and me. Jesus loves the church. He gave himself for his bride. He knows what we will be, a conquering army, an unblemished people. We're accepted. We're forgiven. We're united with him. Not rejected. Not forgotten. Not abandoned in sin. Can you hear him singing, I love you, I love you. Can you hear him calling, I want you, I have chosen you to be mine. Jesus loves the church. His passion through the ages, hell will not prevail. He builds us together, a living temple. We're accepted, we're forgiven. We're united with him, not rejected, not forgotten, not abandoned in sin. Can you hear him singing? I love you. I love you. Can you hear him calling? I want you. I have chosen you to be mine. So there is a groom, a groom who loves his bride deeply, passionately, willing to demonstrate his love, even dying to win his bride. And that bride is you and me. To present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's his plan for you and me. Hear those words again. This is what God's plan is for his church. Church worldwide, yes. Church local, yes. And if you're part of that, then it's you too. A radiant church. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That is what Jesus is committed to doing. That is for you and me. Christ came to create a beautiful bride out of hard-hearted, rebellious people. People like you and me who wanted nothing to do with him. But he wasn't going to give up. He came to create this beautiful bride. Jesus will do it. You know, the message version of the Bible puts that uh, Ephesians 5 verse 27 like this. Christ's love makes the church whole His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. How Jesus sees his bride, the church, should affect the way we see the church globally, local church KCC, ourselves individually, 
and even how we consider Jesus and think about him. A theologian called Marshall Siegel said this in an article about the Bride of Christ. He says, Jesus loves the whole church, his true and forever bride, but he also loves each faithful local church, including yours. He knows each church with its flaws, weaknesses and failures, and he loves, pursues and shepherds it anyway. Your local church is your clearest, fullest, most intimate look into the bride he passionately and relentlessly loves. He sees more of her brokenness than you do. He sees her in all her remaining ugliness, and yet he loves her. He will never leave her nor forsake her. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, that is who you and I are, we're his chosen people. He has pursued us and sought us and chosen us. We're not left on the shelf. We're not abandoned. We're chosen, holy and dearly loved. From that status, because that is who we are, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. If we grasp what it is to be the bride of Christ, if we truly grasp that we are loved by him, then it should mould and change the way we think about church, global and local church, how we interact with one another but it should also change the way we see ourselves. In the same article, this guy Marshall Siegel goes on to say, Jesus loves his church, the whole church, every single church, and if you are part of his church, he loves you. His love for the whole doesn't keep him from loving you personally, deeply, creatively, uniquely. The words of that song are true of Church Global and church individual, people individual. We're accepted, forgiven, united with him. We're not rejected, not forgotten, not abandoned in sin. How does that make you feel about yourself, knowing that you're not rejected or abandoned? People come and go in our lives. We can feel abandoned. We can feel rejected. Sometimes people do it unintentionally. Other times, definitely out of malice or misunderstanding. But God has accepted us. You have been chosen. You are chosen. You are accepted. Jesus wants us to love him back with passion and devotion. It's not to be a one-sided thing. Imagine that on a wedding day, if only the groom was passionate about the bride. It just wouldn't work, would it? What sort of wedding would that be? What sort of future would that be for their marriage? Jesus is calling us to the wedding day, the wedding feast. He is our groom. We are his bride, and he wants us to love him back with passion and devotion. So as we conclude, the wedding, there will be a day 
when we, the bride of Christ, will be presented to Jesus, a wedding celebration like no other. That is where we are headed. The groom, our groom, is Jesus himself. He loves us passionately, deeply, sacrificially, even to death. The bride, as messed up, dirty, full of rough bits as we are, we are loved, not rejected. We will be radiant without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. We are engaged, betrothed. Let's love Jesus back. Let's prepare. Let's live in a manner worthy of our calling and let's get excited that we are the bride of Christ. One final quote. We are the church. We get to be the church. And the glory of our collective story is sufficient to cause us to love Jesus' bride, however broken she may yet be, because by God's grace, he is making her beautiful.